episode nine of the Water Break podcast. Here's your host, Heather Jennings. Hi, welcome to Water Break, where we try to bridge the gap between water operators and engineers. This episode, we're going to discuss COVID-19 wastewater epidemiology and how that helps communities track the pandemic. Our guests today are Dave Tracy. He is a licensed professional engineer in the province of New Brunswick, Canada, with 18 years of experience dealing in microbiological management in water, wastewater, and industrial applications. He also serves as the director of Global Channel Cells for Luminultra Technologies Limited. Thanks for having us. Appreciate it. Our next guest is Helena Steves, and she is the clinical applications engineer at Luminultra Technologies Limited. She is currently working on the development and commercialization of COVID-19 testing solutions in clinical and wastewater sectors. Hello. Glad to have you with us. Excited to be here. Dr. Ian Pepper, our third guest, uh, who's become quite popular of late, is a professor of the University of Arizona and director of the National Science Foundation Water and Environmental Technology Center. He specializes in microbial aspects of water quality, including potable and reclaimed waters. He's also worked with online real-time sensors, including the development of sensors for microbes and water. Hello, and uh, greetings from Tucson, Arizona. You know, for all three of our guests, I'm expecting that this topic is going to be very close to everyone's daily lives. And so I'm really glad to have all three of you here with your experience. And I want to remind the listeners to also stay tuned for the Wanda's Water Tidbit at the end of our program, where we share fun and quirky trivia or information on water. Dave, you and I met a few years ago at WefTech, and since then I've worked with the Luminultra equipment, testing ATP in the field, but now you have some new technology. And I'd love to hear how you and your company became involved with COVID-19 testing. Yeah, it has been an interesting uh, interesting year, uh, to say the least. I think it has been for everyone. Uh, 2020 has certainly been one for the for a lot of reasons, uh, one to forget, but at the same time, we were one of the lucky companies that the pandemic actually brought opportunity. Going back to March, I believe it was, the uh, Prime Minister of Canada, Justin Trudeau, had uh, he put out a call to action to all Canadian biotech or, or any uh, high-tech companies to step up and, and help out however, however we possibly could. It was probably, yeah, I think it was a Friday or a Saturday in March that our, our CEO, Pat Whalen, he, uh, he reached out to, uh, to the government to, to see how we could help. Uh, I think he had said originally that it would be, you know, maybe we could make hand sanitizer or something like that because we, we do have lab facilities, production facilities. And I think a few days later and probably about 30 or 40 phone calls, and uh, we had a deal in place for the, uh, with the Public Health Agency of Canada, PHAC to actually make uh, COVID-19 tests. Big, big step. The deal was for about 25 million COVID-19 tests over the course of a year. So we were the primary supplier of COVID-19 tests for Canada. Um, I mean, it was a huge, huge step for us. Just that alone was a big deal, but it actually opened up a new business unit for us. So in the process of, of outfitting our labs and bringing on new staff and, and seriously jacking up our production capabilities, uh, we're now producing uh, tests for the uh, the actual virus, the SARS-CoV-2, for environmental testing of surfaces, as well as uh, more recently for uh, wastewater. So what are you actually testing for then? So we are testing the, uh, with regards to the wastewater, any sewage sample within the collection system, whether it is the outlet of a building or perhaps a school, or in some cases an industrial site. And 
through testing that for the SARS-CoV-2, the, the, the actual virus, then it can provide insight into whether people within that complex or whatever is contributing wastewater to, to that particular sample, if uh, anybody is, uh, has contracted the virus. And the magnitude of that indicates, uh, uh, gives an indication of how many people that may be uh, impacted. Oh, cool. Uh, Helena, how does that work on your side? So for us, we, our method, uh, we're looking to extract that virus from, from the wastewater. So the SARS-CoV-2 virus is an RNA virus. So we're looking to detect that genetic material um, using qPCR. Um, and so we're, uh, we're looking to do like real uh, application. You know, a lot of work has been done in the lab, but we, uh, we're starting to get out and doing this uh, doing this in real communities. I hear a lot about qPCR as being the standard test for this virus. And that that is new to most of us. What does it mean? Okay, yeah. So uh, qPCR, it stands for quantitative polymerase chain reaction. So the best way to break that down is is into uh, into the words that uh, into its name. So polymerase is a pol is a uh, is an enzyme that uh, that makes polymers out of any molecule. So in this case, with the qPCR, we're looking at genetic materials, so RNA or DNA, uh, and then a chain reaction, so chemical reactions that progress exponentially. So here in the qPCR, you're looking to amplify and replicate either your RNA or DNA, and then they'll send a fluorescent signal um, based on kind of your reagents with primers and probes, and you'll be able to detect specific parts of a genomic sequence that uh, you're looking for uh, that is hopefully specific to what you're looking for. So you'll know that it's present. That's awesome. I, I just think the whole methodology is really kind of exciting. What are some of the challenges? No, it certainly is. It's, it's used, you know, not just in things like wastewater, but it, it's it's kind of that gold standard for for clinical diagnostics and, and it's used in environmental monitoring and, and everything. So it's not a new technology, but I think this pandemic has really um, shown it its usefulness and, and the importance of qPCR. So what are some of these challenges to wastewater sampling? Because, you know, operators have been dealing with it for years. It's not a clear cut thing sometimes. Absolutely. I mean, wastewater is one of those things that it's not, uh, it's not always consistent and you have different levels of solids and interferences um, and that sort of thing. So kind of dealing with solids content um, and, and potential interferences is always something that you'll have to to take into account with any method and or any uh, organism you're looking for. I think, too, uh, one of the things that I'm encountering is is kind of identifying a little bit of a gap between what sort of samples that the uh, technicians are, are traditionally picking up. And usually it's the samples within the process itself. But for the, the purpose of, of this, of this surveillance program, that you're, you're going out into the collection system and, and you're, depending on the size of the community or the, what your target areas are, you're collecting samples from areas that you otherwise wouldn't normally get. So they may not have the staff available. Um, you know, they, they, uh, it would be adding additional, additional work, additional um, locations. Um, so it's not a, a cut and dry sort of, you know, just sending people out, you know, we need samples from here and there. It's, uh, there's a lot more to it. So some of the challenges with wastewater-based epidemiology is really the other constituents that are in the wastewater besides the virus. But one of the things we found is that if you look at the percent recovery of the virus in the whole 
sampling and testing process. If you're using wastewater from wastewater treatment plants, the recoveries will typically be very low, 1% or less. And we know that from spiking studies with coronavirus 229E. Conversely, if you look at sewage from student dormitories, which is much more a matter of human excrement, then the percent recoveries there are upwards of 40%. So percent recovery is really important. But really, you know, with wastewater-based epidemiology, you really get a, a lot of bang for the buck. And I'd rather talk about the limitations of clinical data. We get calls from colleagues all over the country who say their universities have spent millions of dollars with clinical testing and it hasn't helped them control the pandemic one iota. Why is that? Well, you test someone and they're negative on a Monday. Well, what about Tuesday? Are they still negative? You don't know. So unless you're willing to clinically test every other day, clinical testing really is, is a bit of an issue. So wastewater-based epidemiology allows you to do targeted testing with your clinical tests, which makes it much more efficient. We have used WBE with targeted clinical testing at the University of Arizona, and we've prevented um, oh, over 80 potential outbreaks using the wastewater testing. And we've been successful in remaining open while many universities across the nation have had to shut down. That, that's pretty impressive because, I mean, for a university to shut down, you lose millions of dollars. A lot of facilities or uh, cities are losing money just due to the restrictions of COVID. So staying open, is that's a benefit, definitely. So how often do we test the wastewater? We have found that the optimum period is every other day. So why do I say that? Why not every day? Well, let's say you test the wastewater from a given community. Say it's a student dorm, 300 people in there, and it's positive. If you wait two days, you then have time to see whether the concentration of the virus has increased or decreased or remains the same. And so that tells you, uh, you know, which way it's going. So that's what we're recommending, um, testing the wastewater every other day. That's a lot of tests. That's a lot to process. <laughs> how, how long does it take to do these tests? Well, we can answer that in two ways. The traditional way, which is the way we've been doing it. Uh, so you start off in the morning and you have to get the wastewater sample. Now, that may be through using a composite sampler at a wastewater treatment plant. Or in the case of the student dorms, you have to physically go to the manhole outside of the dorm, physically remove the manhole cover, which is a challenge if you've ever tried it. Yeah, a lot of our operators have. <laughs> yeah. Um, so you have to get the sample. Then it comes back to the uh, Water and Energy Sustainable Technology Center here at the U of A. And we do sample prep, which takes um, four, four and a half hours. Then we do the nucleic acid extraction, uh, which can take another hour and a half, two hours. And then finally, uh, either quantitative PCR or digital droplet PCR. So we're getting the samples in the morning around 8.30, which is after students have used the bathroom mostly. 
and we can have the results by um, 4.30, 5 o'clock that afternoon. Now, there are um, new test kits being developed that um, Dave can certainly ascribe to, which show dramatically reduced uh, duration of time for doing that test. Yeah, our method is uh, it's quite quite simple. It, it uh, does not require sample concentration, so we can get a very good recovery without the need to do that. It really cuts the time down. Um, I think it's uh, approximately about two and a half hours. Helena, is that that's about what we're coming in at, right? Yeah, two and a half, three hours, but yeah, shorter for sure. Yeah, so that that brings into that that includes the the sample prep and the thermocycling time on the on the qPCR device. And so that's sample collection to having your result. So with that, of course, increase in speed, and it's a it's fairly portable method as well. It's not something that you want to do out on the street, but at the same time, somebody with lab experience can pull this off in a in a short period of time and and process a good amount of samples during the, your average day. Well, you know, I think that's a real shift. You know. We're, Either way, you're still getting results back in a day where a lot of operators are used to sending wastewater samples out to a third party, waiting two or three weeks for results to come back. I mean, that's kind of an industry norm unless you're doing your BODs, CODs, and all that kind of stuff in-house. So to have information back in a day or less, that's incredibly fast for the wastewater industry. But it also sounds time intensive. (laughs) Like you need someone to do it. As Dr. Pepper indicated, I mean, with if you have this information quickly, it can lead to preventing some pretty serious things from taking place. And they've been able to avoid a number of outbreaks by being able to act quickly. So that's really times of the essence here as, as much as uh, you know, in these situations. One of the more exciting aspects of the work we've been doing is looking at shedding rates of the virus, which was a big unknown. And we were able to do that by using the data from monitoring student dorms in which following a positive wastewater result, every, all the residents in the dorm were being clinically tested so that we knew exactly the number of infections in the dormitory, including symptomatic and asymptomatic. And from that, we were able to then back calculate the shedding rate one of the latest um, advances that we've been using in wastewater-based epidemiology is to look at zip code information for all the zip codes that fall within a the service area of a given wastewater treatment plant. And by looking at concentrations of viruses within these various zip codes, we can actually help county health personnel to predict where the next hotspots are going to be in the community. So obviously this has tremendous implications for the protection of public health. That's that's pretty exciting. I mean, yeah, it really is, you know, what are we doing now? Only just saving a few lives. No, nothing major. <laughs> uh, what are there in Canada? What have you guys done as part of this? Have you done evidence-based restrictions from the based on the data or Anything like that? Uh, it's been, I guess, um, just like in the U.S., it is uh, somewhat of a uh, gradual process um, because there's not many wastewater plants have uh, epidemiologists on staff. Uh, we're st- we're kind of relying on our uh, 
sort of the academic network up here. I know the Canadian Water Network has a, a project that's ongoing. Um, all of the, the leading researchers in Canadian universities, uh, it seems like it's the same ones that uh, are leading the, the charge up here. Dalhousie University, one that we've collaborated with heavily in the past, we have done so again with this. So, you know, we're, we're certainly doing our best um, learning as we go, and we're happy to, to be able to uh, to contribute in some way. I've I've read an article before where they had, for example, 10,000 clinical tests saying there's 10,000 positive, and then they did the wastewater sample, and it looked more like 100,000. Is that what you're seeing, Dr. Pepper, like the the actual numbers being greater than what's actually tested clinically? So with the with the technology that we're with the modeling that we're doing and using shedding rates, we find well, we find that there are more predicted cases using the wastewater than reported. And of course that difference is the asymptomatic cases, which is really important. So at the moment, when you see on the news mortality rates for COVID, that's actually nonsense because they have no clue how many cases there really are out there. And some of our preliminary data is suggesting that there may be 80% asymptomatic cases. So there you go. Well, I feel a whole lot more comfortable (laughs) about it all. What other research opportunities are there? You know, going from this, you talked a little bit about modeling. What else? Um, the big one is what's called um, shotgun viral metagenomics. And the idea there is that you do sequencing of, com- of community nucleic acid from the wastewater, and you look for sequences that suggest new viruses. And this, uh, obviously, um, you can predict the onset of COVID again, but also look for new potential pandemics before they happen. So I I think that's um, a big one. One that's been going on slightly different in nature for quite some time is an analysis for illicit drugs in wastewater. And from that, you can determine the um, or predict usage of that illicit drug in the community. So a lot of different innovations, and I'm sure that, you know, very shortly in two to three years, you'll see students getting degrees in wastewater-based epidemiology. That's great. I mean, I think the community needs it. So Dr. Pepper, can you tell me a little bit about the aeration project that you're working on? Yeah, we've been doing some bioaerosol studies, but um, I should mention before I get into that, that To this point in time, no one has been able to isolate infectious virus from wastewater. So that's still a work in progress. Now, back in 2009, we did some work with the original SARS virus and showed that the virus could survive in wastewater for two to three days. But again, to this point, no one has uh, isolated infectious coronavirus from wastewater. That being said, we have done some uh, bioaerosol studies looking at the potential for aerosolization of the virus, particularly in uh, wastewater treatment plants. And we have had some positive hits there, but the detection methodology utilizes uh, PCR. And so we don't know whether we are detecting pieces of viral RNA or whether we're actually detecting infectious virus. 
So uh, we have that piece of work still to establish, and we're going to try and isolate infectious virus from uh, the wastewater from the student dormitories. We think that's the best opportunity to be able to do isolate infectious virus. You know, I'm just thinking of your students. You're going to have a couple that are going to be pretty buff by the end of the year, lifting all those manholes. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Well, I really appreciate the, that information. Um, and I'm going to be looking for more of your work as well. Yeah, I can send you a preprint. Oh, sure. I got to run, so I'll be dropping off. Okay, so really appreciate our three guests today who have enlightened us on the COVID-19 and the testing and that's available. I really appreciate all of your time. We're going to move on now to what I call Wanda's Water Tidbit. And this is a part of the show where we celebrate the unusual and sometimes brilliant in wastewater or water. We've been talking a lot about wastewater, so I thought maybe to counterbalance that, we'd shift gears and talk about drinking water. And first question is, do all of you guys drink your tap water? Yeah, not only do I just drink tap water, but I made a bet with my father probably about oh, 20 years ago that we'd never pay for bottled water because we both thought that was absurd. Awesome. So, yeah. <laughs> no, I drink tap water as well. You know, a lot of people don't, and that's why the bottled water industry is, is coming in so strong. People don't like it for a variety of reasons. Either, you know, it tastes funny. Sometimes there's a mouthfeel. You have silts in there, particulates, colors, and stuff like that. But I'm glad to hear that you guys are drinking tap water because operators take a lot of pride in their drinking water. And I've actually been to several different water shows and rural water shows and so forth where they've had potable water taste contests. And yep. everyone tries to be good nature about it, but it's a pretty stiff competition. <laughs> We've actually, we have two customers that have won uh, there's one that won a national, I think they won the AWWA, uh, the national drinking water uh, taste test. And there was one that won a state contest before. Uh, and probably beforehand, I could have told you who, who would have won just due to, as we got to know them over the years, they're, they're the kind of utilities that really put a lot of effort in. It's not just the bare minimum and staying in compliance. I mean, they, they really go above and beyond and it, it pays off. So the, the effort uh, definitely went a long way to get them to where they are today. Well, there, there are some people, though, that have taken it up another level. And one of those <laughs> I wanted to talk about is uh, Mart Reese. He is from the uh, Patina Restaurant Group. And he is actually a certified water sommelier by the German Water Trade Association. So same kind of idea where people, you know, judge or taste the uh, wines. He does with tap water and other waters. And you'll, you'll like this uh, because in his mind, there is no quote unquote pure water and that all bottled water is treated in his mind. And so he just tosses it. He prefers it straight from the tap. Our kind of people. <laughs> it's, kind of it's like what you were saying with the marketing of, of the bottled water industry. And it's, it's whoever originally, whatever marketing firm or whatever marketer uh, started that off. I mean, they've got to be rich now. Uh, it, I don't know how long ago this was, and I won't say where it was, but I made an international trip for uh, for business, and I was at a drinking water plant. I think maybe my first clue as to what the qual quality of the, the water out of this facility was when I went through the gate, and there was a goat wandering around on the grounds. And <laughs> oh. Yeah, they have animals living at the plant. So anyway, I went in, and 
and uh, we were they were interested in in our uh, our second gen ATP test to quickly assess water quality. And I ran the tests there on their their treated water they were discharging, and just about every water plant I've ever been to, uh, the water is exceptionally good when when they discharge it as it tends to be at the weight the water treatment plant. But this one it was it was pretty bad, and and his response was. Well, we can't hope that it'll be as good as bottled water. So even this guy, the the manager of the water treatment plant, had been convinced that bottled water is the gold standard. And we've seen time and time again, it's 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 not. It's it's not necessarily bad, but potable water from your local municipality, more way more often than not, is is perfectly good and tastes just fine. We had a bottled water company here in Arizona, and when I found out they were just using municipal waters filtrating it a little bit more and then taking some of that filtrate, adding it back in to add taste. And that's all that bottled water was. So you're right. It's the marketing that, that really does it to me. I've always said tap water has tastes and I do a lot of travel too. And I try all the waters wherever I'm at. I'm going to say though, waters out of a water fountain are the worst. That's just nothing but metal. (laughs) (laughs) That's true. I'd have to agree with you. Yeah. I have to agree. I agree with you. I definitely find that different tap waters have a slightly different taste, but the ones that are metal tasting are, are certainly the worst. Yeah, that kind of leaves you that residual in your mouth. Exactly. Yeah, I don't know what's worse, uh, either that or the the people that that use the uh, Rita style filters in their fridge, and they they buy the filter, and then you know two or three years later, it's the same filter. Oh yeah. If, yeah, those aren't supposed filter. to be rotated out. <laughs> for a very good reason what's interesting though is that in 2016 at the international water tasting competition in guangzhou they started introducing standards for measuring the taste of different waters this was news to me i don't know if you've heard of berkeley springs international water tasting annual event it's having its 30 year anniversary this year Wow. Yeah, I was impressed. I'm like, they, they actually have 2020 winners. They were able to get the samples in and, you know, judge them. What's interesting is that they have municipal waters, bottled non-carbonated, purified drinking water, which I don't know what that means, uh, bottled sparkling, and then the People's Choice package design. There's a lot of ways to look at these these waters that are out in the industry right now. Yeah, I, I noticed sure. that you didn't mention the uh, the best raw water. I hear that's quite a craze in some places. Uh, something that we absolutely do not condone. Well, yeah, we do not advocate raw water. The untreated water from bodies of water. Yeah, it's supposedly stuff that just runs off, uh, you know, through the woods or something. It's. I mean, I grew up in the country, and you know, a lot of the time the spring water is perfectly fine. But uh, you hear about some of these places in 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 the west where, you know, downstream of uh, maybe a a landfill or something, you know, you just, you don't know exactly what's going on. Yeah, I, I agree. Uh, it's kind of a dangerous trend. You never know what diseases in there, what contaminants and things. Treated wastewater or treated water, I should say, has kept public health, maintained it for so many years. I really don't want to go backwards myself. No. <laughs> no. <laughs> Thank you so much for joining us. And for our listeners, if you have any questions about what we've discussed today or would like to get in, in touch with any of our, our guests, uh, Dave, Helena, or uh, Dr. Pepper, please check our show notes for more information. And you'll also find more links to um, the water discussion that we had today in the show notes as well. 
greatly appreciate your, your guys' time today and for helping us understand the COVID-19 testing and the importance of WBE. And we hope to talk with you soon. Thanks for having Thanks us. Thanks for having us. Thank you for listening to the Water Break Podcast, brought to you by Probiotic Solutions. Probiotic Solutions offers a broad spectrum line of biostimulant nutrient products for bioremediation of water, wastewater, and soil. Find more information about our products and the show notes for this podcast at probiotic.com.